Welcome, ladies and gentlemen, to Danger Room, the X-Men Comics Commentary Podcast. I'm Jeremy. I I, I mean, Adam. I get to be Jeremy this time. Oh, jeez. Sorry about that. <laughs> I, <laughs> excuse me. I wouldn't wish that curse on anybody. We have returned for the X-Men number 20. What what is the date on this one? May 1966. We're still at 12 cents. The angel is still flying highly above the X-Men logo. And uh, what else can I say? Uh, the title is, uh, it says it right on the cover, simply, I, Lucifer, which which could really mean anything. Yeah. Do you think it's a take on, like, iRobot or something like that? Could be. Maybe, you know, whoever is uh, at Marvel is a huge uh, Asimov fan, you know? Yeah. And they're trying to make... Well, actually, I never read the book or saw the movie, so <laughs> I have no idea, actually. Um, I saw the movie, but I believe that it was completely different than the book. I have to imagine. Uh, I don't think Asimov necessarily imagined that Will Smith would be playing his lead, but, you know. Well... <laughs> that aside that's, that's hardly where it differs <laughs> oh oh, okay there's other differences yeah yeah do tell <laughs> or not actually the main character's name is will smith get out of here it's crazy <laughs> so um on this cover we see a kind of a two different scenes or maybe it's one in the same because if you look at it you see um what looks like seven x-men in front of a bank and then perhaps below the street, you see the Professor and Lucifer. I only count six X-Men because Jean Grey doesn't count. All right, she's not quite up there, but she's uh, she's I guess she's more in she's the... She's the bridge between the two scenes. The subterranean area. And she's wearing some some sort of contraption on her head. Kind of looks like... Uh, what are those uh, doctor things with the with the round the some sort of scope that, that scope thing that they wear on their heads and they they swing around the whatever she's wearing something like that and some headphones and then there's a there's a really fat guy who's wearing an X Man uniform who's kind of attacking Angel and then there's another guy who's repelling the Beast I can only wonder who these two characters are. They certainly don't reveal it on the cover. Nope. But they do say on the cover, featuring the untold story of how Professor X lost the use of his legs. Now, I... That's a pretty big deal. ...really dropped the ball here. Oh, yeah? Well, I, I was going to actually confirm this because uh, a little while ago I was reading something about how they uh, they continually retcon the X-Men. So, for for example, it's like a sliding timeline... So when they talk about like the professor and the juggernaut in the war, I think they say it's the Vietnam War. And then when they go further on in 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 real time history, the comic books will then refer to them being in the Korean War. And mm-hmm. then I mean so it, it it's continually sliding as as real time slides. But anyways, blah 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 blah. So I was kind of reading all of that information and at one point it talks about an inconsistency between how professor X lost his legs and I thought it had actually said that in that Juggernaut origin story, it said that he had lost his legs, the use of his legs in the war. Hmm. But I might have that completely wrong or, or the, again, see, I'm mixing up my, my details and I was going to go look into this before we recorded, but I didn't. It may have been like later on in real time history when they were talking about them being in the Korean War, not the Vietnam War where he says he loses his legs. But anyways, this is not the only tale of how the professor loses his legs. Bottom line. But this is the first... The, and, I uh, think, like I said, I mean, I'm not 100% sure if the Juggernaut issue lists him losing his legs in the Korea or Vietnam War, but, but whatever. Well, I, I don't think so. Okay. I mean, not, not the one that we already read. All right. All right. Well, keep that in mind, folks, because when we get there, I won't remember then either. And that's when <laughs> you can spring into action and email us. Let's see. Yeah. So, now. Yeah. Now. Because we're looking for those emails, and our boxes have been coming up short. So you can reach us at DangerRoom at RedCatProductions.com, or you can go to www.RedCatProductions.com forward slash DangerRoom, and you can click onto one of the little episodes that are there, and you can leave a comment about how awesome or mediocre, or hopefully not, but terrible we actually were. Or you can go to iTunes and look for Danger Room. You can just type in Danger Room, and I think we're like the first one that pops up. And if you go to Facebook... 
I think you can, not only can you just type in the words Danger Room under that little find, that little search thing, and we'll pop up, but you can also go to Facebook.com slash Danger Room. Facebook.com Danger Room Podcast. I'm sorry, you're right. I got ahead of myself there. You were on a roll. I was sorry really excited. No, that's, that's, that's <laughs> good. I mean, I like it when you correct me. Anyway, so go ahead and do that. And uh, while you're doing that, we're going to jump right into this episode. So we enter under the first page, uh, expertly edited by Stan Lee. What? What? Hang on. Wait a minute. I see another bullet that says another mighty Marvel bullpen surprise. Oh my gosh, this is this issue is skillfully scripted by Roy Thomas. Oh Stan my Lee god. is no longer writing the X-Men. Oh my god, another first, and you heard it here on the Danger Room podcast. <laughs> and then the rest of the, the same guys are there. Jay Gavin's penciling it, Dick Ayers is inking it, and good old Artie Simek is laxly lettering it. Yeah, he's he's like, you know, he eh. smokes some ash. He's like, eh, yeah, this is cool. Speaking of smoking, the two X-Men that are inside of a bank are smoking, and they don't look like any of the X-Men that we're familiar with. You know what that symbolizes in the 60s when any character smokes? <laughs> it I think means it... they're bad. <laughs> but how can they be bad? They're wearing X-Men uniforms. I don't know. All right. So they're, they're, they're threatening the bank manager, and they want to get in the vault, but the vault has a time lock for 10 o'clock, and it's, according to the clock, only 5 to 9. There's a bunch of people in there that are kind of freaked out a little bit. The people are the most interesting part of this. They're basically like, these don't look like any X-Men they that we recognize. So basically the X-Men are popular enough that people know of them. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. They don't recognize these guys, but they won't, they're afraid to approach them just in case they do have powers. Mm-hmm. So for all these people know, these could just be two regular dudes dressed up as X-Men. It never... Which is quite a racket back in the 60s. If I was living in the 60s and there were like X-Men running around, I would totally dress up as one. And be like, <laughs> yeah, everybody thinks I have mutant powers. Yeah. I'd put on the costume and just try to pick up chicks. <laughs> <laughs> hey, baby, you don't even want to know what my power is. Or maybe you do. <laughs> I was hanging out with the angel the other day. Yeah, that's pretty cool. <laughs> it's pretty cool. He's rich. <laughs> so anyways, we move on to the next page where we're still eyeballing the clock. We got a nice shot, nice angled shot of... One of the faux X-Men's nose and a clock that now says four to nine. And he's like, yeah, I can't wait till 10. I got to get this vault opened. Basically, these guys, these two guys look like um, uh, like a comedy duo from the 50s or something. We we have a big one and a small one. Oh, yeah. That yeah. one and a skitty one. Sure. And uh, what what is the, what am I thinking of? What is the... You're thinking of uh, Abbott and Costello? Abbott and Costello. We Mm -hmm. have the Abbott and Costello of the X-Men right here. Or are they X-Men? Well, I don't know. They are smoking cigars. (laughs) It's possible. As a matter of fact, we get a clue on the sex... The sex. We get a clue... The sex page. (laughs) (laughs) No, just wait for the sex page because it's crazy. Uh, (laughs) We get a clue in the second panel here when one of the sort of X-Men rips open the bank vault but then calls everybody in the room a rube. Where have I heard that before? I don't quite remember. The big guy pulls out the cash, which is a really large cash bag. <laughs> and you know it's cash bag because it has a dollar sign on it. It's like half the size of the other guy. <laughs> There's a lot of cash in there. Seriously. Or maybe it's just like the penny deposit. <laughs> and the cops who haven't been approaching these guys because they've had the bank manager mm-hmm. hostage mm-hmm. Up, up until now decides this is the time I'm going to fire at these guys. I'm putting an end to this mutant business because the X-Men ain't bulletproof. Well, before he does that, he is teleported briefly into hell, as noted by the red background behind him. <laughs> <laughs> oh, and then he fires his gun because, you know, uh, X-Men aren't bulletproof, right? Well, it turns out that uh, the big guy is kind of bulletproof because the bullets sink into him and then pop out again. Mm, where mm-hmm. have we seen that before? I don't know. I'm sure we've seen it, though. It sounds so familiar. The other bullets glance off of the skinnier guy who's holding the cash sack, almost yeah. as if he's got some sort of repelling force, force field. field of force. <laughs> a veritable force field, if you will. Well, they actually refer to it as a force field in that very same panel. You're right, they do. And so, so I'm, the... I'm not going to beat around the bush. It's all a right. force field. All right, all right, all right. So <laughs> then, uh, 
as the two X-Men are laughing sort of at the cop for underestimating their bulletproofedness, the bigger guy grabs the cop's gun and squishes it. Yeah. Scrunch. And he calls the police officer Cuddles. Yep. <laughs> hey, Cuddles. We're mutants. Just remember that. I'm going to start calling you Cuddles. Hey, Cuddles. Why don't you read the next page? Meanwhile, outside, the cops have arrived because the burglary alarm has gone off. Hmm. And uh, the the two X-Men leave the bank. And uh, the guy with the money sack, the, the small one with the money sack and the baseball bat, can't be approached. All the men, all the cops try to clobber him, but they keep bouncing off of him in his, his mysterious force field. We did forget to mention that in the opening panel, the skinny guy is wielding a baseball bat, and even some of the bank tellers or the bank patrons are a little uh, uh, confused at the, uh, I've never seen anybody hold up a bank with a baseball bat before, see, see? Yeah, uh, and he does say, I can do more damage with this baseball bat than a homo sapien can do with a Sherman tank. Yeah. But the, the the odd thing is, and correct me if I'm wrong, but I don't think he ever actually uses the baseball bat for anything. No, he doesn't. <laughs> it's kind of a it's kind of an oddly placed prop for a guy that has a force field. But at any rate, uh, all the police officers bounce off of him. Uh, in the next panel, all the police officers try to clamor upon the larger guy, but but they can't knock him over for some reason. I don't know why. He's 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 almost uh, immovable. You might say. And in fact, he he whips his arms up, and they all fly off. And he reveals who he is. It turns out he's the Blob. But oh my this, gosh! This is what really gets to me: is the cop says, "So that's who he is." No wonder. <laughs> now, I didn't realize the Blob had this large of a reputation because in our last two encounters with the Blob, it was with the circus at the mansion, and then on a deserted hangar where he took a few missiles to the stomach. So at yeah. no point does it seem, other than his circus fame, has he ever had any sort of notoriety. Well, maybe maybe uh, these guys just came from the circus, and they're like, oh, it's the it's the blob. I saw him. Yeah, the circus must be in town. But All you right. think if they saw were just at the circus, they would have known from the beginning that he was the blob. Well, he's got a mask on, Adam. Yeah, I guess. <laughs> I forgot. That is the ultimate rule of superherodom. Yeah, just put a mask over. Don't worry about anything else. Unless you're Batman, nobody will ever recognize your voice. So then the blob jumps on top of the car and crunches on it, I guess. And then they, the two guys, the blob and the unknown uh, skinny guy, With drive the off in the bank manager's limousine. Uh, the cops decide that they're going to follow them, and then we cut back to the X-Mansion where... A dour Cyclops is packing a suitcase. Is he dour or is he dapper? He looks both dour and dapper. Ah, but he's wow. definitely dour because he is leaving behind a note which explains why he is... <gasps> Gasp! He's leaving the X-Men. That's what I'm trying to get to. Get out of here. He's... He is. He can't take it anymore. He has... Uh... He can't... He doesn't even have the words to express how he feels in his heart for Gene. And what right does he have while he wields this terribly awesome power? Of which he has complete and utter control. As we've seen time after time. <laughs> but he's but, going to now yeah. go find a doctor who can rid him of the menace of his... Like, what are they going to do, cut his eyes out? Now, that's an interesting thought. Where does his eye power come from? Does it actually come from his eyeballs or his pupils or something in that vicinity? Or does it just happen to be? Question. Yeah, does it happen to be an energy outlet for for that area on his body? You know how some superheroes can like shoot beams out of their fingertips for whatever reason. Like if you take his eyeballs out, is he able to shoot anymore? I don't know. I think Cyclops is being a little bit selfish here. I think he <laughs> could pluck his own eyes out and be rid of his awesome powers. Yeah, but then Jean Grey wouldn't want to date him. I have a feeling. He could put those glasses back on. Nobody would know. He'd just be stumbling around, and it'd give him a, an excuse to fall all over Gene and, you know, cop a couple feels and be like, oh, oh, oh sorry, baby. Oh, I'm, I'm blind. I can't see a thing. Hmm. Interesting. Uh -huh. This is what would happen if Jeremy took over the... <laughs> wow. I, I have, uh, wow. I, I have just blown my own mind. <laughs> Anyways... 
Uh, so we're back at the library, and nobody uh, yet knows if Cyclops, where Cyclops is, or, or cares, really, in this panel. Uh, oh, I did want to mention oh, that he, this this isn't the first time that Cyclops has talked about leaving the X-Men, so no. it shouldn't come as too big a surprise. He does talk about leaving the X-Men quite often. Hopefully this time it's for for, for sure, and he just, it's done. Like, he, we just wrote him out of the comic book. And he never comes back. <laughs> so anyways, the rest of the X-Men are in the library, and Angel is trying to help Jean get a book down, but apparently she feels the necessity to remind him that she has telekinetic powers and doesn't need his help. Well, see, the thing is, how does he know which book she wants to get down unless know. he sees that she's already removing it with her telekinetic her telekinetic power? Or perhaps they had a discussion about it, I guess. I don't know, but I hate these... Gee whiz, Warren, I sure would like that copy of War and Peace. <laughs> I just... Oh, I'll get it for you. Let me take my shirt off and fly up there real quick. <laughs> oh, I can use telekinesis. Match. I really get tired of these uh, panels where I think they're trying to do some level of character building, but it always seems to come off pretty corny. Hey, remember that panel or that page last issue that had a lot of words? Yes. This page does too, and this entire issue has a lot of words. This uh, this Roy Thomas fellow—he's a wordy fellow. He's even wordier than Stan Lee. I got to imagine that Roy Thomas wrote the original script, gave it to Stan, and Stan's like, "Nah, son, let me tell you about comic <laughs> books. You're gonna need about three times more words." He's like, "What? What do I? All right, let's put this book scene in here, so I can get twenty more words in." Bobby is watching the boob tube, as he calls it. And says, hey, everybody, come on over here and check this news out. It's it's crazy. And Beast is like, oh, I don't feel like watching the TV. I'm studying. But it turns out that Bobby's right. They are reporting about the other X-Men members who were robbing the bank. Of which we know one of them is the block. Natch. <laughs> so they run into, or actually Beast runs into um, the professor's office where... The professor is busily working on a new installation of a of a new Cerebro because the last one got destroyed last issue, or actually issue 18. Yeah, I don't understand why the X-Men always feel the need to run in to tell the professor what's going on, because every time they do, he's always like, I know, I know that already. I just got word on my mento ray, you fool, son. Yeah, I don't think the professor knows anything. I don't even think he has... Like the ability to read minds. He's just faking it. He's super insecure and defensive. So when they come in and tell him something, he's like, yeah, I know. Of course I know that. I'm the, I'm the professor. The government just called me and told me that. I I know, boy. Get dressed. <laughs> <laughs> so the professor mentally uh, calls the rest of the X-Men uh, who come running in, minus Scott, to look at Cerebro's video screen or whatever is built in this time. Warren says, I've never seen the prof any grimmer than he is right now. Hasn't somebody said that every time the professor calls them in? Uh, pretty much, yeah. I mean, Gene has said it for sure uh, a couple of issues ago. I think maybe in the Juggernaut issue, there was some, oh my gosh, he's so grim. Yeah, he is like, he must be getting grimmer and grimmer as the days go. I think he's just getting senile. <laughs> <laughs> oh my. I'm grim, damn it. Oh my God, this is the worst threat we've ever faced. Professor, it's just an ant infestation. Oh, he is so grim right now. <laughs> All right, so the radar image. I dropped the milk. I've never seen the professor so grim. Oh, my God. <laughs> Who's going to clean up that milk? Certainly not I. So the using the radar image beam, Cerebro's radar image beam, they project the image of the two mutants on the screen, and immediately they recognize them as the Blob and Eunice the Untouchable. So the Beast is so angry that he's pounding his fist going ooh that's Eunice I'm gonna shoot him with my gun again yeah basically he's like remember back in issue 8 when we said we told Eunice that he's not allowed to ever use his powers again well well we're gonna get him we should do that again <laughs> so I think what we've learned here now is that uh, there are um, two mistakes that we've made we let Eunice go and we let the blob go yeah, And now they've teamed up, and they seem to be somehow getting revenge. I hope there's no other mistakes of that nature in this issue. Yeah, you know. Just want to put that out Letting there. people go appears to be wrong, so <laughs> hopefully they haven't done it to anybody else in this issue. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, 
The professor says, Beast, settle down, boy. You don't know if that gun is going to work. Something might counteract it. Which, how does the professor know that? I don't know. But he also detects a mysterious entity who might be in control of the uh, blob and Eunice somehow. Mm -hmm. And then we wonder... He tries to think about it. Who could it be? And he goes through a list of all of the villains. Not all of them. Based in the past, except he can't remember which one it is because... The one that it is has a mental block. Well, there's actually two names missing from here. There's the stranger and the toad, so it could be one of those two guys. Well, yeah, the uh, the Brotherhood of Evil Mutants, I suppose. Yeah, 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 and you don't see the Scarlet Witch or, or Quicksilver in here, so the professor, he's not very good at this at all. <laughs> so, anyways, uh, he does say that there are some mental screens up. But before that, somebody wonders where Scott is. And the professor yep. says, yeah, he's not here, but we don't have any time to worry about that. Let's go. Yeah, they got his letter. They they basically said, uh, oh, look, he left us. And then they're like, well, I on the professor, he's, of course, I knew that already. <laughs> <laughs> the professor says, uh, as he sends out the X-Men to go get changed, that he must build his mechanical memory inducer. Thank goodness. I was wondering when we would get a ray or an inducer. <laughs> and we have one. Well, we've already had a radar image beam. Oh, and then right in the same panel, uh, uh, B says, I'm going to get my ray gun. Yep. So we do have a ray. That to get uh, get Eunice back to his, I don't know, incompetent levels. Uh, the only other thing that we'd be missing is an intensifier ray. I don't think there is one in this I issue. I think you're right. That's too bad. So then <laughs> we move to the next page, which has got, um, uh, lo and behold. Magneto. Magneto. Is, oh, wait, no, no, that's not Magneto. He's just wearing Magneto's clothes. Yeah, he just kind of changed his helmet a little bit, um, you know, just to uh, hide himself from the stranger. Oh, wait, you're right. That's Lucifer. That's not Magneto. <laughs> <laughs> so in the previous issue that Lucifer was in, uh-huh. um, he had a green outfit, and now yeah. he's got a red outfit, making him look much more like Magneto. And every Otherwise, other villain. Yeah. <laughs> Otherwise, his purple cloak and onion head are the same. Now, in the last issue that we encountered Lucifer, which I believe was, what, nine? Yep. Um, he, what happened? They did. Was he zapped of his power, or were they like, don't do it again? Yeah, he was basically using some sort of, you know, the professor chose not to mind wipe him and gave him a stern lecture. Yes. But was he powerless, the, or was he not powerless? He was just defeated. Okay, so... Don't do it again, or we'll come for you. His basically his giant machine was destroyed. If only the X Men could have anticipated that all three would somehow get together for an ultimate delicious revenge, perhaps they <laughs> wouldn't have let them all go in the first place. This is basically the turned away X Men club. <laughs> <laughs> Pretty much. Um and doesn't at this point doesn't Eunice yeah, doesn't Eunice and Blob know the secret identities of the X Men? Yeah, I so, believe I, mean, I don't. Uh, Eunice may not, but I know the Blob does. Yeah, okay. although wasn't wasn't that portion of him mind wiped or something? The first time, I but I didn't think it. I didn't think the second time it was. Oh, maybe it was like slightly mind wiped. Like I know where the X Men are. I just can't really remember their names. Follow me. Yeah, yeah. Okay. Anyways, uh, uh, so Lucifer, we don't really know what his powers are yet, do we? No. His powers so far seem to be to create machines and gaze into screens basically okay uh so we go uh, the, uh, lucifer starts talking about to nobody really i don't think he's talking to anybody and goes through kind of an origin of how the uh Eunice and the blob got together to form their faux x-men team yeah there's a whole little bunch of panels dedicated to showing how the the blob and Eunice got together and somehow uh, Lucifer is taking credit for it, but I don't <laughs> see how that actually is happening. Okay, so th- this is this is the way I, that I had read it, is that uh, after their defeats, Eunice went on to continue being a uh, kind of a, a, a guy who 
if you could, pro wrestler, a, a pro wrestler, if you could just just like when Beast met him in the uh, the issue that Eunice was in, hundred bucks yeah. if you can stay in the round with them for three days or three hours, three days, three, three days. hours, Crap. three three hours, three rounds, three minutes, three, three minutes. minutes, good lord, three somethings, <laughs> three of anything. If you can get in there and stay in there for three anything, you win a hundred dollars, and um. The blob went back to the carnival, as he said he would. I think he at the Which end... is, we can see in the second panel, is named the Superior Circus. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Uh, yep. And so, oh, because Eunice is touring. Oh, I didn't even see that before. So Eunice the Untouchable is touring with the Superior Circus. And the blob yeah. is like, hey, this is my circus. I'm not going to share the stage with that guy. And so he jumps in the ring, and they have a little fight, and they realize that they're both mutants because Eunice isn't getting the expected outcome that he would expect, and the blob is not taking him out like he would expect. Meanwhile, as you said... sort of implied that Lucifer tips them off to the idea that each one of them is mutant to the other. Lucifer is taking credit for gently planting all of these ideas into their heads. And then also yeah. maybe that they're touring together. I'm not really quite sure about that. It's unclear what Eunice is doing, but he's taking credit for it. On the next page, is definitely unclear what Eunice is doing because he's bas- basically back humping the blob. Yeah. <laughs> and uh, at this point, they both realize that they're mutants, and uh, they they uh, they want to talk a little bit further, which is also supposedly an idea that's planted by Lucifer. Yes. So they meet inside of the Blob's uh, trailer, and they talk about their past, and they both realize that they both encountered the X-Men and had some falling out with the X-Men, and now for some reason they want revenge, which could also be planted by Lucifer, I guess. And their plan is to frame the X-Men by dressing up in X-Men costumes and go on a robbing spree, which also seems to be planted by Lucifer. Because uh, his ultimate goal is to have all of the X-Men show up to confront the two fake X-Men. Yes. For reasons we don't know yet. Right. So as what always happens in the X-Men universe, as the bad guys are doing their thing, uh, they accidentally bump into an X-Man. Just like what happened well, in the last issue. with former them. X-Man. Well, sure. Sure. You're right. <laughs> They run into Cyclops. Just like what happened with Beast. <laughs> Pretty much, you know. And uh, Marvel Girl, who is not a former X-Man, but she was plain clothed when she uh, ran into the Mimic, you know. So just so happens. Mm. Wherever there's an X-Man, bad things are happening. Yeah. The X-Men should just retire. I know. Less bad things would happen. Yeah. So Cyclops is kind of like, hey, man, this ah, I'm done. I'm not going to get in on this. Besides, nobody yet- could... But besides, none of these guys would believe that those two are actually X-Men, would they? And then it turns out the crowd totally believes it. You can't trust any mutants. Mm -mm. So he's like, I got to stand up for the X-Men. Luckily, I brought my costume along. Even though I'm retired. Even though I'm retired (laughs) and going to put on my costume and approach those other guys. And then there's like a kind of a uh, word battle that they have where the... Everything that the Blob and Eunice says, say, tries to convince the crowd that they're still a team mm-hmm. uh, with Cyclops, even though Cyclops is clearly attacking them. Mm-hmm. Hey, you can't lead the heist and you try to foul it up. Why did you shoot our money bag, buddy? Yeah, <laughs> yeah, exactly. It's I don't know. The audience is not given a lot of credit for being very intelligent. On the third panel? On... They're probably not. I mean, the idea is they're a mob. That's true. On the third panel in page eight, while Cyclops is shooting the uh, the light post, they are all transported into limbo, as indicated yeah. by the white background and uh, no <laughs> other lines. <laughs> a lot of that going on in the 60s. Do you think that they got, let me think about this, they got paid, they probably got paid per page, so they just kind of got rid of backgrounds a lot? I probably sped things up and they were like, I'm just going to cover up my backgrounds with all the wording anyway. <laughs> if you guys weren't so wordy, maybe I'd draw a good background. I mean, they didn't even try to color this one. It's ridiculous. All yeah. right. 
So anyways, the angry mob is behind him saying, eh, we don't buy it. They're all evil. Let's get him. Get that little one. He looks like he's the most dangerous. Yeah, so they go after the most dangerous. Always a smart idea. <laughs> yep. So, luckily, the most dangerous runs away. Yeah, luckily, the most dangerous is kind of a wimp. <laughs> so he it's runs like, away. I failed. Instead of helping, I've merely allowed them to discredit the X-Men further. <laughs> Woe is me. I better go tell them. <laughs> he, of all people, should know that at this point, the professor's got to know what's going on, right? Also to of note is that Cyclops immediately recognized they were the Blob and Eunice, but wasn't quite sure about it. Right. He needed proof or something, I guess. Yeah. Oh, because at one point he says, I'm going to shoot him, but I'm going to make sure it's actually the Blob and Eunice before I take their heads off. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> or something I'm gonna like shoot. That. I'm going to shoot at them, but not hit them just in case they're mutants or they're not mutants. So he, take, nice. so he takes He's off. Oh, yeah, yeah, absolutely. So he takes off running. And uh, Lucifer starts pounding his fists like, what? I wanted all of them, not just one. Oh, but maybe. Then he realizes he may have spoken too soon because Angel shows up. Mm-hmm. And if Angel shows up, the other X-Men cannot be far behind, even though Cyclops just showed up and left. So in your panel, uh, page, what is this, page uh, nine, panel two, under his little onion head mask and above his goatee, does it look like he has two teeth? I count three teeth. Okay, three. All right. <laughs> it looks like there's a big space in between those two teeth, so I don't know. Looks like our friends had some dental work done. Yeah, he's got he's got his mouth open and the teeth are the teeth are colored. Or else he's got a serious underbite there too. Yeah, I'm I'm just imagining they forgot the line there. What I what I do like what I do did notice at, at this page from that panel and the the bottom right panel is that um I've re- re- realized that the uh Lucifer is actually Shaggy from Scooby Doo. Mm-hmm. He's got the goatee Zoinks. and everything. Yeah. I imagine that's how he talks. Oh Professor Zoinks. <laughs> uh want a Scooby snack. Have my plans all come to naught? <laughs> Does only one X-Man dare to attack my costume, dupe Scoob? <laughs> right or no? <laughs> <laughs> so then uh, the other, well, three X-Men show up, Angel, Iceman, and Beast. And uh, the blob, he keeps playing up like, hey, it's about time you boys showed up. Yep. And uh, uh, Beast grabs out his special ray and says, hey, look, you know, I told you, man, you play this game and I'm going to blast you into infinity. And so he he, he goes ahead and blasts him. Eunice and, is like, uh, hey, man, go do it. I dare you. Yeah, Eunice Give it like, to me. All right. Yeah, yeah. I got it. I got it. And then he thinks to himself, my nutty hunch was right. So apparently he had a hunch that the gun just wasn't going to work, which by the end of the page, Lucifer also takes credit for. Yep. I planted the hunch inside of him. <laughs> He planted the hunch and also is responsible for Eunice's immunity to the ray gun, which lets yeah. us un- which tells us that he knew that Beast had this uh, uh, intensifier ray to begin with. Yeah. Wow. Still don't know what his powers are, though. His, apparently his powers are the power of suggestion and um, the ability to affect mutant powers. powers. Yeah, yeah. Or at least make one immune to something. Yeah. I don't know. It's strange. I don't know what you would call that. So I'm the sure. beast is all like, what? All right, now now you're in for it. So they have a plan B, and uh, as Blob and Eunice go after them, Iceman sprays the ground with ice, causing everybody to slip. Oh, um, and they're, trans- like how they're transported Eunice- to hell again. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I'm sorry. Uh, I like yeah. how Eunice slips, and I just imagine that he never hits the ground because of his power. He's just like bouncing up and down off of his force field. <laughs> hey! Uh, and then the blob also falls face forward. But then, and then mm-hmm. the unrevealed other opponent of the X Men reveals herself now, finally, <laughs> the old bag lady. Mm hmm. And she's got powers you don't want to mess with. She she oh, has the yeah. power of umbrella umbrella manipulation. Yeah. She manipulates that umbrella right over Beast's head with a powerful whack. Yep. 
Yipes, says Iceman. Now what do we do? <laughs> uh, there's a cop on the scene who Angel feels that he must divert his gun away from Hank and Bobby. So he's like, up here, officer, see the nice birdie? Yeah, and the police officer just starts firing away. Yep. But but he says, I'm just going to wing you. I don't dun, know. Dun, dun. I think if you were I don't know it looks like a crime is being committed by a bunch of costumed freaks would you really try to wing one of them or would you just try to shoot (laughs) him in the face and be done with it like I don't know man I think when you go to the sergeant with your report and you're like I shot the angel in the face they're like good good job (laughs) (laughs) just file that in the circular bin no need for any more paperwork well, luckily, uh, the the angel practiced for an extra hour this morning, evading. Yeah, just, so just in case. Even if the guy was trying to shoot him, he was he, he was ready. Yeah, yeah. That adds to the professor's power. He's also got precognition. Yeah. yeah. Angel, I think Why you're not? gonna I think you're gonna need this. So I want you to practice evading bullets all morning. Okay. Okay, professor. <laughs> mm-hmm. Um. I don't know why Iceman is on the ground. I guess he slipped. <laughs> yeah. He's still recovering from his brush with an umbrella. I'm not exactly sure what, what all's happening here, but oh. Blob and Eunice are closing in on them. Yeah, and then so all of a sudden, boom, or I should say, whoom. And they say, wow, what was that? It's Cyclops. He's back. So Cyclops blasts the ground from underneath them, causing them to fall down into the subway and land on a subway train. (laughs) And I didn't actually, I've read this comic book two or three times. And every time I read this, because you don't really get used, you don't really see these cutaway shots very often in comic books anymore. Mm -hmm. But I, so when I had originally saw this panel, I literally thought that they were on like a walkway and then that was a bridge, and there was a train going under the bridge. And he had shot through the bridge, and they had fallen onto the train. But but what this panel is actually indicating is that he shot a hole into the ground through the yeah, street. all the way down to the subway. Yeah. I mean, it makes more sense if it's like a grate. Let's assume that it was just a grate. It's like 18 feet, too. I mean, if you say that Cyclops is about 6 feet, well, maybe not 18 feet, but definitely definitely. 14 <laughs> definitely two cyclopses <laughs> deep so yeah I, i'll go with that he shot through a grate and uh the Eunice and the blob fell on a train uh only to turn around and climb up the hole wait a minute where are they going <laughs> apparently they're leaving yeah i guess apparently says, apparently they've yeah, they're left. just gonna stay on the train and exit they say shut up and keep your head down we'll be back and then you know the, what? The little... When I was reading this, I thought it was Cyclops shooting underneath uh, Beast and Iceman. So I was very confused in the next panel when Beast and Iceman were fine. Um, yeah, now it makes sense. So Blob and Eunice disappear yep. on the subway train. They say that they'll be back, uh, and then Stan puts his little caption on the bottom and says, "You can bet you'll be here. We'll be here to meet them." So. That's the end of uh, Unison Blob's appearance in this issue. So uh, the issue yeah. is done. Thanks for coming and joining <laughs> us. For th- oh, wait a minute. There's more. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We, we're only on page 11, Jeremy. Oh, I'm sorry. I just I just thought since the main bad guys were gone that the issue would be over. But uh, okay. And there's still some more stuff with Bagnita or uh, Lucifer. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay. So Scott asked the uh, obvious question, where's Marvel Girl? <laughs> <laughs> well, right. She had to stay behind with the professor, so it was. It's. I actually realized as I was reading this at exactly this panel that Marvel Girl was not around. So Lucifer detects that uh, actually his Mento Wave receiver has indicated uh, that the that professor has penetrated his mental screen, as indicated by a siren on the ceiling of his um, fort or whatever you want to call it. And uh, so. A giant dome appears out of a mesa. Yeah, mesa. And um, basically what we find out is that Lucifer had been waiting for the professor to uh, 
find out where he was so that he could reverse find out where the professor was. <laughs> this is, well, um, I kind of looked at this as uh, Lucifer's plan B because plan A was for the X-Men to all get together. And he actually says that. So what does he say here? He says, but it has to be a plan B because if it's, if this is plan A, it makes no sense. <laughs> Why put a Mento Wave receiver there in the first place? Why not just let the professor find you? Yeah, so his initial intention was not to have the professor find him, but now that the professor has found him, it's okay because he can work that into his plan or something like that. So this is a contingency, I guess. I'm, I'm going to yeah. operate on that. I, uh, I, it's Yeah, I'm going to have to go with that too because <laughs> otherwise it makes no sense. That would have to be a well-thought-out plan to have all of that stuff play out exactly that way. Ah, excellent. Cyclops blasted the hole, just as I predicted. (laughs) (laughs) So anyways... uh, I'm glad I put that grate there. (laughs) Ah, Eunice and the Blob are not coming back to help the X-Men, to fight the X-Men, just as I had planned. (laughs) So a a giant dome pops out of the mesa and and just keeps on going up. I mean, there's there's a lot of pistons there and... It's apparently got a huge gun. It's going to blow away the sun or something. No. <laughs> it blasts energy into the atmosphere. Yeah. For what we do not know. But Lucifer reveals that the first part of his task will be completed and the world will be ours. Yeah, hmm. he says ours. He says that his potent beam will ride his own mental waves back to their sources, back to the professor himself. So this giant blast, I guess, is his potent beam. Yeah, and who is this ours where he's referring to? He's not working alone. Well, he's been talking to himself for quite a while, so I can only imagine that he is, his, his ours is his multiple personalities. He's nuts. <laughs> he's basically just some crazy man. He found this thing in the mace. He's like, oh, my God, this is awesome. All right, so at that self-same instant, a continent away. Jean, Back at the mansion. Jean Grey is hovering over the professor's shoulders. Entirely uselessly. <laughs> uselessly hovering. <laughs> the professor has got some machine pressed up against his forehead. And suddenly he realizes, it's, like it's like a telescope, but not. It's like a <laughs> mental like, telescope. Yeah. Like, Brain telescope. Sure, something like that. I don't know what uh, he's looking at, but I think it's another <laughs> intensifier. Whatever it is, he figures out who the person is, and then he gets blasted by the potent beam of Lucifer and is completely catatonic. Mm-hmm. Yep. Jean Grey is worried for a second that he's dead, but then he's still communicating with her, but very quietly. Meekly, almost. So he tells her to put on some sort of funky, oh, mental wave amplifier. Portable mental wave amplifier. Yeah, yeah, because it's connected to a little radio box. Pretty <laughs> which, handy. Which is the device that we saw on the cover of the issue. Actually, it looks like a stethoscope hooked up to her headphones, and then that little dentist-doctor mirror thing that they have, you know, sticking on yeah. top of their head. It's a very... Uh, very... Yeah, it's a very medical-looking thing. Exactly. And so apparently this is a t- intensifying the professor's meek uh, telepathic communication. So it's really good that he had this sitting right here on the off chance that he was going to be rendered catatonic you always got to have an an intensifier handy and this is the professor he likes his intensifiers so she he says listen girl i got a story for you rather than worrying about the x-men and lucifer let me tell you about the thing the days of yore back (laughs) when i was a traveler and i drove jeeps so rather than just getting to the point and telling um, Jean Grey the point of the story, which I won't jump ahead and let you know, he goes back to tell this entire story leading up to the point of the story. Yes. Um, basically, the professor used to be Indiana Jones. Mm-hmm. Bald Indiana Jones. Bald Indiana Jones. With a yellow shirt. With a yellow shirt slash jacket. Mm-hmm. I don't know. I, I imagine it's like Indiana Jones's leather jacket, but... Yellow. Yellow. (laughs) Yep, absolutely. (laughs) And uh, he goes to this strange city in Tibet, and it turns out the city is under the mysterious rule of an unknown presence, and everybody is terrified. Mm -hmm. Um, To cut the story short... (laughs) (laughs) It's it's very exciting. (laughs) Uh, The professor arranges for there to be an overthrowing of this dictator because he wants to help people 
get over their oppressors. But why, Adam? You're forgetting the fundamental reasons of why. Because the professor has mentally scanned the building and discovered electronic machineries that are made by an alien technology Mm. inside the castle walls and realizes that all of the people inside the castle are in some sort or inside the city this walled city are under some some low level mental control that's why adam that's why he wants them to rise up okay <laughs> so I'm cool with that i mean yeah <laughs> so he meets with uh some of the rebellion or he forms the rebellion I mean, this all happens in the span of like 45 minutes. He shows up he's like, hey, anybody want some rebellion? They're like, eh, yeah, yeah, actually, uh, you know. I'll take some of that. Yeah, a little bit, you know. Uh, and so while they're planning their meeting, another guy who is a double agent or who knows what. I guess he's maybe under the control of, uh, of uh, what's his Lucifer. face? Lucifer. Decides to cut down the chandelier, which falls from the ceiling and smashes into the professor's legs, thus using them, rendering them useless. Oh, no, that's not what happens. No, no, no. <laughs> <laughs> the professor uh, discovered the treachery seconds, mere microseconds before before he cut the rope. So he was actually able to sidestep out of the way of the, uh, the chandelier. Yes. And in fact, everybody at the table is saved as well. Yeah. They decide that they need to act quickly since they are on uh, the Lucifer or the mysterious agent is on to them. Yes, because by now the professor's been there for about an hour and a half and everyone's like, come on, is this revolution over or what? (laughs) So somebody says, hey, I know about an underground passage we could use. Yep. And uh, they run into it. Uh, Lucifer's like, of course I know about that. Mm Mm-hmm. And it's, he has it booby-trapped. Uh-huh. The go- so first the walls start crushing in like in Temple of Doom. Mm-hmm. And uh, the professor mentally discovers some wires to make it not uh, close in. Yep. Which, I don't know, that's somehow part of his powers. He's done it before, so I guess I can't <laughs> yeah. complain. Nope. He can mentally detect the presence of people and wires. but as he pulls the wires to stop the walls from caving in a giant ball of fire comes rushing down the corridor and burns his legs beyond recognition thus using rendering them useless Mm, no oh no no. actually he luckily managed to notice a hatch that would release water into the area so he pulls that hatch that's the stupidest (laughs) thing i ever heard Oh no, fire. Luckily I noticed a hatch which would allow water to enter into the thing right on top of the fire. Okay. Our foe has failed again. Yeah, and you're right. And then now that the fire is gone, I'll just pull this other lever and uh the water will disappear. Yep. You know, <laughs> so for well, for a bad guy uh of Lucifer's nature who who already knows that this corridor exists and must have some level of plan for when the rebellion comes i mean he's putting a little too many uh trap door levers in there to you know save yeah if you have fire you don't want to put water as an alternative trap (laughs) (laughs) you might want to route the water on the other side of the uh castle so it's not next to your fire trap yeah but anyways uh he doesn't because he's not he's not very good at uh building codes and, and whatnot you know so He's about to pull a handle, and he's got lots of handles uh, at his disposal. Uh, yeah, he's only used a few of his traps so far. It mm-hmm. looks like he's got three more at least. When all of a sudden, a even larger blooming onion head <laughs> <laughs> uh, appears on the video screen, and uh, the supreme one he calls him. Yeah, he's a, and he and he calls Lucifer Agent One. Mm-hmm. Our relay systems record that part of the equipment is destroyed. You must leave now. So he does. Yep. Uh, he runs away without too much complaint. But the professor, he he's he's he sees him and he says that he needs to confront him because he feels that all life on Earth may be at stake. Yeah, and uh, so the. Lucifer uh, leaves peacefully, and the professor is fine. Well, actually, that doesn't quite happen. Uh, the, oh. Lucifer pulls a lever, and a it's got bl- so many levers. Yeah, and a block falls from the ceiling, 
which the professor sidestops easily and dodges and carries about his business. Because, yeah. I mean, after all, he's able to read the Lucifer's mind about the lever being pulled and, and a block. I mean, he can mentally read wires. Why not a block falling from? Oh, wait a minute. No, he doesn't. <laughs> the block from the, the the roof smashes his legs. Um, I guess the professor was so caught up in what he was doing that he forgot to read people's minds. <laughs> That's weird. Okay. Could be. Maybe, Maybe the... he was like, oh, that purple-headed fellow is so attractive. Ah! Oh, my legs! Son of a... Not Damn a... my latent homosexuality. Not again. <laughs> And so oh, wait, we already know that the professor is into Jean Grey. Oh, that's right. Well, you know, that's just a cover. <laughs> so then we uh, we go back to uh, the professor's office where Jean Grey says, that little boy was you. You were <laughs> the little boy whose legs got smashed. <laughs> yes, Jean, <laughs> would you stop it? <laughs> <laughs> so it's revealed to uh, Jean Grey that the uh, Lucifer is an alien. Yes. Uh, and that yes, was the yep. point of the story, which the professor could have just said, listen, Gene, Lucifer, he's an alien. Yeah, Let's move on. Took us like five pages for the professor <laughs> to say, yep, he's an alien. So anyhow, um, Lucifer's in his his castle and his looking at his plan to take over the, the well, currently the United States, but he's got he's got everything covered in this plan. Yeah, he says, in Asia, I managed to extend my sway over an entire city. But now with my experiment with you, what? But my experiment with Eunice and the blob proves that longer. Oh, okay. So what he's saying is that since he had a uh, scale of influence over Eunice and the blob, that he can now extend that to, well, the rest of the world, basically, which is quite a leap. I mean, going from two people to like 10 billion. He's uh, very confident. (laughs) Well, you would have to be, I suppose. As far as uh, he may not even be on Earth at this point, I'm not sure. Yep. So awesome blossom calls, and uh, <laughs> he says, uh, "You know, at last, it's now is our time to strike. We need to get Dominus down there. Let's get Dominus on the job." Yeah. And uh, he's also got a goatee. Yeah, I guess it's part of their alien um, physiology. They all are born with goatees, and and to shave them off would be painful. It'd be like cutting a toe off. Well, they're actually kind of like, they look like razor blade goatees. So maybe mm. they also use them for cutting cheese or something. Maybe it's like a chin gill. They're like <laughs> pulling you know, carbon out of the air with their chin gill, or gills. I'll stop you with my chin blades. <laughs> yeah. Oh. So uh, I don't know where the X-Men are. I can't remember. Okay. As far as I can gather from this panel, the X-Men have been hiding out. All day. <laughs> In a fort. A metal fort. Yeah. It's like one of those uh, giant uh, canisters you find on the docks. Yeah, like a cargo sh- shipping container. Exactly. They seem to be hiding out in a cargo shipping container. Yeah, so... Uh, from the dangerous mob that threatened to get them before. <laughs> They've been playing cards, waiting. <laughs> Yeah, without the professor there to give them confidence, they're like, oh, my God, the broom lady, she's still out there. <laughs> I don't so like they the managed looks of her. To get back. <laughs> so they managed to get back to uh, the mansion now that they feel that the coast is clear. And uh, Marvel Girl reveals that he's the professor has been giving her directions for a beam distorter mm-hmm. for the beast to build which will allow the professor to get out of his catatonic state. Mm-hmm. So they put that together, and it is, in fact, a uh, space helmet, which they put on the professor. Um, yep. Yeah. They also... Well, I guess not. I thought maybe they changed the professor's clothes, but I must have been getting confused with the yellow leather jacket. <laughs> so Yeah, and so after a quick briefing from the professor... Jean Grey is like, oh, anything's... Or Professor's like, you can take that thing off your head now. And Jean's like, oh, anything's better than wearing that gadget for another minute. To which Cyclops is like, quiet, Jean. Lucifer almost beat us before. If he's stronger now... Yeah, and and, uh, normally you would think that's just something that, you know, Cyclops does because people do that to each other all the time in the X-Men. But then... Quiet, boy. A little later, she's like, the way Scott snapped at me a while ago... 
How could I have ever thought he might care for me? Yep, as they pack up all of their boxes and suitcases. What are they doing? What are they packing? Um, They're getting ready for Christmas. <laughs> they uh, pack all their Christmas presents onto a brand new X-Jet that the professor reveals that he had bought uh, a little while ago. But they actually, I had purchased this plane several weeks ago, but our encounters with the Sentinels and Magneto kept us too busy. But in the last issue, he said, oh, or the um, Magneto's like, oh, these many months that I've been up a year with a stranger. I sense another yeah. time conundrum. Several weeks, months. Well, the we, we figured that, yeah, I don't know. Okay. <laughs> All right, anyways, uh, so uh, they, they get on to what... Why didn't they use it last episode when they used that stupid <laughs> X-copter? I don't know. I got to imagine that uh, Jay Gavin or whoever's drawing this is like, you know, I want to draw a plane. Planes are cooler. <laughs> well, actually, the, the the answer is Roy Thomas. Roy Thomas, the new writer, uh-huh. decided that the X-Men need a plane. Makes sense to me. I wish he had just said something different about it. Like, mm-hmm. I got this new plane. It's cool. Let's do it. Apparently, it uh, it parked in the garage <laughs> of the mansion. Yeah, well, yeah, you know. The Where hangar, else are you going to keep the it? Garage. Uh, they they do uh, explain that it has been especially fitted for short takeoffs and landings, so that's nice. Uh, and they they maybe fly- that's why they had to use the excopter because Mimic was really far away. Mm, that could be. Uh, so they they take off and uh, we're treated to a nice picture of the X jet flying up through the moon, or in front of the moon, I should say, or sun. I don't know what that is. Just like E.T. <laughs> I see Elliot pedaling and Beast is on the front <laughs> with his blanket over his head. And All then right. we get next issue, the startling sinister secret of Dominus. That's, that's the end. That's it. Wait, it what? ends like that. What? <laughs> Once again, the X-Men don't do a damn thing the entire issue. Well, they beat sort of, I mean, they, they beat uh, Blob and... and Eunice. I would say that the subway train beat Blob and Eunice. Yeah, but Cyclops forced them onto the subway train. I mean, All right, you gotta le- give some credit. He lent a hand, uh, I suppose. On this sliding scale of the X-Men losing every time, this counts as a victory. What? <laughs> Alright, fine. The scale is so low. <laughs> the bar has been set pretty the low. The bar has been set very low at this point. If it even appears that the X-Men might have had something to do with the victory, we chalk it up to a victory. <laughs> yeah. Since I don't think there's been a decisive X-Victory yet. Uh, didn't Iceman beat Magneto? No, because the stranger came flying around the corner and chased Magneto off. Oh, yeah, that's right. <laughs> well, they beat the Juggernaut with the help of the Human Torch. That's true. All right, I'll give them that. They beat the Juggernaut. And really, the Human Torch didn't do anything. Yeah, he was just kind of a distraction. Yeah. Alrighty then. Well, I I got nothing else. <laughs> okay. Well, this is good though. I thought that Roy Thomas taking over. He's he's working with the stuff that's been provided before, and he's trying to do some different things. And good for him. He's a wordy gentleman, but his words weren't that bad. They weren't too bad, and I, I don't. Uh, I, I believe that. Uh, I don't think that this is the last that we'll be hearing from Roy Thomas. No, no, for, not at all. For better or for worse. And I hope Dominus is the coolest villain ever. I hope so, too. I hope it's not really just the onion head referring to himself. <laughs> I'm Dominus. <laughs> hey, everybody, Dominus is coming. Uh, oh, that's me. <laughs> Here I am. Okay. <laughs> all, all right, right. got to go. Speaking of going, um, I think that's it for us this week. Adam, anything else you want to add to this? Oh, Lord, no. Okay. Until next week, this is Jeremy and Adam saying that the danger room is closed. Hey, that was pretty good. There's an old saying in Tennessee. I know it's in Texas, probably in Tennessee, that says, fool me once. Shame on... Shame on you. If fool me, we can't get fooled again.